0: Hey everyone, this is Derek Stone and this is Conrad Geringer and you're listening to the Working Triathlete podcast. Today we have a special guest with us that Conrad's going to introduce and we're going to uh, talk about, you know, a lot of swim benefits and some tools that you can use in the toolbox. Joining us on the podcast today is Rob Sleemaker. Rob is the
1: founder and CEO of Vasa Inc, a company that makes and sells swim ergs and swim trainers. Um, Rob has been involved in the endurance world for decades. He wrote a pretty popular book that is actually sitting on the bookshelf behind me called uh, Serious Training for Endurance Athletes. And he founded VASA in, in the 90s and since then has grown the company and has saved a lot of athletes a lot of time and contributed to making swimmers swim stronger, better and faster. And I should also note that a couple of years ago, I co-wrote the book Triathlon Freestyle Simplified with Rob. Um, so, you know, Rob is, is well known in both the triathlon and, and, and swim world. And today we are excited to, to chat with him. So Rob, if you don't mind, can you introduce yourself briefly and, and talk a little bit about your background in the triathlon and swim world?
2: thanks conrad and derek for having me it's good to be with you and i appreciate the introduction probably the reader's digest condensed version here would be my training was in exercise physiology i i went to the university of arizona and got a master's degree there and was fortunate enough to work with some great people and it wasn't the beginning but it was it was a real strong nudge into endurance sports through that experience and then when i moved back to vermont and got involved with as an exercise physiologist working with elite uh, endurance athletes, uh, nordic skiers, biathletes, triathletes, cyclists, runners, you know, the whole the whole gamut. So that was a great experience working with them and that led into more coaching and it led to the ideas that that eventually came forth in my first book which was called Serious Training for Serious Athletes. Which led to the second book that I co-authored with with pro triathlete and also an exercise physiologist, Ray Browning. That was serious training for endurance athletes. And uh, all along in that time period, I had uh, it was working with those athletes that led me to come up with the products that that we now sell at, make and sell at Vasa. Um, But they were all born out of the needs of the athletes that we were working with or that I was working with. I guess I I like to think that once in a while, I connect the dots between a few things. And that's what happened for the original VASA trainer, which most people don't know this, but it was created actually for Nordic ski training. Nowadays, you know, there's a really great product out there for Nordic ski training, but made by Concept2, the ski erg. And we had to pivot as a company. We had to pivot, and, and we got discovered by swimmers. And so we, we went into swimming and triathlon in a big way, and, and uh, we didn't really stay involved with Nordic skiing in a, in a very big way. Anyway, fast forward to, uh, I guess it was around 2000, the year 2000, and that's when I came up with the idea for the Swimmergometer. And I worked with some very smart people to, to help develop that product and then we launched it as a company and a few years later all along the way i've been privileged to work with some really great swim coaches and triathlon coaches and athletes swimmers and triathletes i've always tried to make it my my mantra sort of to myself to is like just shut up and listen right and i don't always do it very well because i'm an idea guy so i'm always like you know i've, I've always got ideas on how to improve things but but i learned so much from incredible coaches uh, one of which one of which is there in tennessee uh at university of tennessee matt credits there's so many i can't even count all of them uh that i've learned from and you know each time i try to sit, try to connect the dots between what they're needing to do with their athletes in the water and what our machines can do to to help those athletes be better in the water. Be stronger. Be better. Be faster. You know, always trying to find ways to for those people who do want to train or need to train on land with with Vasa products. Always try to find ways to show them how to integrate that into the actual sport of swimming, because you have to do that. <laughs> we have, we don't we don't have a Zwift version of uh, of swimming yet. Yeah. <laughs> maybe one
1: maybe it's coming day. up. Yep.
2: Oh, you know, people talk about it all the time, and we have <laughs> we have the the electronics capability to do it, but we haven't done anything as a company. But the point being that whatever someone uses on land, whether it's strength training in the gym using a one of the Vasa products or using swim cords or whatever, it's so important to understand what are your limiters. How can mm-hmm. you use those those tools on land? and how do you integrate them into swimming better and and that's what I th- think would be a great thing to talk about today
1: agreed and there are a lot of benefits to using a swim erg i know that derek and i both own vasas and a number of our athletes do and what compelled us to to purchase them is it serves as a good replacement for swimming so just to elaborate on what exactly a swim erg is and does so envision a rowing machine and you essentially are laying with on your stomach and where the uh sort of the paddles would be on the rowing machine there are uh, two separate sort of swim paddles and you swim so you can you, you make the swim motion on the erg and it Truly does mimic the swim stroke pretty darn well. When we think about replacing swimming with with a swim erg, what we're looking to do is enhance fitness, i.e., strength and aerobic fitness, and also hone technique. And you can do both of those on on a Vasa swim erg or trainer. You can adjust the resistance of the swim erg, so you can. Sort of mimic swimming with paddles, or you can put it on a lower resistance and more closely mimic, you know, maybe the swimming uh, in a more streamlined position or with a, a stronger kick. It can definitely enhance swim fitness, but you can also focus on technique because you don't have to worry about ba- balancing in the water. So you can kind of isolate those pull mechanics that we always try to hone, such as an early vertical forearm, finishing your stroke, and also other benefits. But Derek, I know that you recently got one within the last few months. So I'm curious to hear uh, what caused you to pull the trigger.
0: Obviously, I knew we were having a baby uh, that was due in October. And Thinking ahead, I knew it was gonna be difficult to get to the pool every day. The closest pool to me is 22 minutes away. So that's a 45 minute commute, you know, one way to the other. And when you factor in getting ready for the pool and getting your workout in, you know, it's a, it's a two hour process. So the the biggest thing for me was being able to engage the muscles, um, is with the limited amount of time I had, I started using it, you know, during my marathon prep, I'd swim a couple times a week on it, and you know I, I will say m- my muscular endurance and muscular fitness was exactly where it needed to be when I jumped back into the pool. And but yeah, the biggest thing was you know we were having a baby, and I knew my time was going to be limited, and it definitely fit that need. Yeah,
1: convenience is a is a huge reason to use Avassa Swimerg and to loop. Loop back to Rob's question or point, which was, what are the unique challenges that triathletes or working triathletes specifically face? um, as it relates to swimming. And I do think that number one is, it's just an enormous time investment and athletes find it difficult to frequently get to the pool just because it's a huge time suck. Um, but when you have a Vasa swimmer in, in your home, then all of a sudden it's, it's very easy to get in swim training. Uh, so, you know, when we break it down and we think about, a triathlete or somebody who's maybe getting into the sport step one is obviously building proficiency in the water getting comfortable in the water and developing the sort of the basics of a good swim stroke and then after that w- w- the goal is to continue honing technique and building fitness and it's at that point that definitely the vasa swimmer can help triathletes like derek mentioned it is very easy to absolutely blast your muscles on a swimmer and get get in a great swim workout and truly build uh, swim fitness. And it's also possible to hone technique you can set up mirrors and and really kind of watch yourself swimming look at your stroke focus on different dimensions of the swim stroke but when i think about its usefulness for the athletes we work with we just see a boost in in swim frequency because all of a sudden the prescription is for the athlete to swim you know say three times a week but the time investment (laughs) for the round trip Trip to the pool and an and actual workout in the pool you know that might be two two and a half hours, but suddenly maybe an athlete can you know cut one of those trips to the pool out and add a vasa session or two or more and actually spend less time uh, investing in their swim training but but still if they're really focused on deliberately improving technique and fitness and, and swimming well on the vasa uh, they can actually become better swimmers just by that increase in in swim frequency due to convenience so we know that the VASA is a good replacement or supplement to swim training like actual swim training but I know that VASA has done a, a really good job offering ways to to make the workouts more engaging and and creative through you know different types of circuit training and and things like that
2: more depends on whether it's the it's the vasa trainer or the erg. I mean, if you want to talk about that for a second, I like to use it uh, sort of a visual analogy for dry land swim training. So if if someone can envision their bicycle wheel with the hub and then all the spokes that go out, so the hub is if you're going to do a swim a dry land swim workout, the hub would be the very uh, swim specific intervals or you know but it's swim specific you're you're mm-hmm. you're really working on the muscles that are used for propulsion and then the spokes might represent an exercise that complements uh the swimming propulsion so it might be a core exercise it might be a push exercise or a pull exercise uh some with the legs, some with upper body but always coming back to that hub as you know, you talked about frequency so the the workout would might have 6 or 8 intervals of swimming and maybe only two different sets of each of the core push pull exercises something like that but it's all about trying to build up the the fitness and the endurance the strength of the endurance for that for that particular workout that's going to be integrated into you know, swimming uh, and having the fitness once you get into the water. But mm-hmm. something, something I'd like to touch on, if, if it's okay to go off in a slightly different direction yeah. here, depending on the the experience of, of an athlete, mm-hmm. experience swimming, but also experience in triathlons, one of the things that I, as a coach, I always wanted, my, wanted triathletes to, to come to the start line in a race feeling prepared and feeling confident. When you work backwards from that race day start line on the swim and you think about all of the different training that led to that start line, have you done enough work? And that touches on what you said, Conrad, about the frequency of of actually swimming and the volume, the amount of that they've done, Uh, certainly depending on the athlete uh, and their efficiency in the water. How much technique did they do and have they learned to integrate integrate that into their actual swimming? Because, you know, especially in the sport of triathlon, which is what you're, you guys are coaching for, it's important to have confidence because all kinds of things happen in the water, you know, in a, in a, in a mass start race. Mm-hmm. You know, getting kicked, getting your goggles knocked off, um, you know, drinking some water or swallowing some water the wrong way. <laughs> You know, choppy, no, you know, choppy, uh, windy conditions, current, all that stuff, right? So, I want to be able to finish my swim, going like, wow, actually, I feel great. That's great, Mm -hmm. and without having expended a lot of Mm -hmm. excess energy that I need for the bike and the run. And so, again, I think people, it's it's valuable for people to think of their swim training for triathlon as more than just like. Oh, it's enough to just get me through that swim. I, you know, but no, like if you want to really have your best performance and, and actually maximize all of the time you put in on the bike and the run, you need to be confident and proficient for the swim so that your the rest of your race could go well. I don't know if you guys both have experiences of when your swim didn't go well, how did it affect your bike and your run? It might be interesting to talk about that a little bit.
1: Overswimming can definitely negatively impact your race um, and the risk of overswimming goes down the more fit you are the more swim specific strength you have especially in open water when you're sort of fighting chop and, and waves and, and other athletes this there, there's a, a specific kind of swim fitness and strength that's required to to do well and if you're not ready for this and you don't have that swim fitness the likelihood of over swimming goes up and over swimming can negatively impact your race no matter the distance long course sprint tries etc once that, once that lactate is is in your system it's it's tough to clear it out and um i talked with a, a number of athletes this year about trying to adjust your intensity factor in the water to reflect your your swim fitness Um, because if you don't and you over swim and you hop on the bike your heart rate is going to be elevated it's going to be elevated for a while it's going to be tough to get that down and, and it could jeopardize your whole race on on the flip side if you're if you 're fit in the water, you have more room for error, so you, you can swim on the rivet at the start and um, you can take a little bit more risks and swim better stronger and and faster um, and it, it, but it's it 's always a wager and, and it really depends on the athlete, um, especially in triathlon where we 're juggling three sports and we 're trying to uh, scale certain disciplines It, it does make sense. For example, to, to scale the swim for certain athletes, especially those who have swim backgrounds or who have a lot of low hanging fruit uh, in the bike and the run. You know, it, sometimes it makes sense to allocate more time to the bike and the run and sacrifice the swim, so to speak. But these athletes, they need to swim easy in the water and they have to have the discipline to go out at a lower intensity factor because they're not getting you know, the frequency of stimulus or, or they're not building swim strength needed to to truly be competitive and and vie at the front of the pack. And we can overcome this with, potentially with a a VASA swimmer, because we know that you can build very good swim strength and and fitness with, with the VASA, and this will enable athletes to approach the swim more confidently, especially Again, in open water conditions where there's chop and and you, you do definitely need to be strong. Um, so I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on on all this, Derek.
0: Yeah, yeah. But back to to Rob's point, you know, there is the, the level of confidence that you want to portray when you get in the mm-hmm. water is huge. And granted, every athlete has different expectations and also different circumstances, which which is like how we as coaches need to navigate what's going to be best for their time. By all means, like the, the frequency is going to be super important for the athletes that are either beginner swimmers or need to really work on their swim, or if they're looking to get to that next level. Um, so the frequency is super important. But like Conrad mentioned, if you have a fr- really proficient swimmer and they, they are time strapped, it is okay to cut their swims a, l- a little bit because they're already confident in the water, they can adjust their effort and probably swim almost just as fast. You know, I think Conrad, you saw one of my workouts after is it a day or two after I did my marathon? Um, I was swimming like one fifteen pace and I wasn't in a pool for six to eight weeks roughly. <laughs> um, so yeah. I mean, I was taking a lot of rest between those reps, but, um, I contribute that fitness to being able to engage the muscles when I couldn't get to the pool. Just like any athlete that might have circumstances where they can't get to the pool, you got to get creative and uh, identify how often you can get get to the pool and what other techniques you may need to use or other tools you may need to use to accomplish what, what your expectations and goals are. Right, and
1: you know I can think of a couple tangible examples of athletes who have used the the swimmer to to great effect um one instance and and this uh anecdote really. Put me over the edge and uh, inspired me to, to get a swimmer. But I know there's, there's one athlete, I think he's from Belgi- Belgium, uh, and he, he does not have local pool access where he is. And this athlete is one of the top age group athletes in the world in his age group. He, he won Ironman Texas, his age group at Ironman Texas a few years ago. And uh, I remember reading an interview um, th- that he did. And, and he said that he trained exclusively on the Vasa swimmer. So, so he used it as a, as a replacement for swimming. Um, so know that he did Kona in, in October and then Ironman Texas was in April. And, and he said that, you know, the first time he swam, uh, since Kona was at the time was in April, the week of Ironman, Texas. He swam a, a couple of times in, in Lake Conroe and, and he was able to, uh, as you can ma- imagine, since he won his, his age group, swim very fast. I believe it was around 60 minutes and and he was an adult learned swimmer, actually. So, you know, that's an example of somebody who, who spends a lot of time on, on the swim erg. I, I can recall his training. I believe he, he mentioned that he gets on the erg about five times a week, 45 to 60 plus minutes at a time doing structure intervals. So uh, clearly that, that works for him. And that's a, a great example of, of how, um, if necessary, a VASA swimmer can replace swim training and still enable an athlete to do well. And, you know, personally, I should probably you know, offer my own experience during COVID pools were closed, obviously. And, uh, I was forced to do all of swim training sort of solo indoors. And thank goodness I had a swim erg, So it was, it was actually a forced experiment, um, for, for six weeks. All I did was swim on the swim erg, and I got into my mind that it was going to be the ultimate test of ergs effectiveness. And, uh, I, Focused on swimming every day, so so I believe I averaged around six vasa sessions per week, uh, and I would swim typically in between twenty five and thirty five minutes per session, focused targeted intervals and at the end of the six weeks when it, it was warm enough to go to the lake, I went to the lake with my uh, my friend, and he 's a better swimmer than I am uh, historically he 's in the ten to fifteen seconds. Per hundred faster than me range, and when when we swam, I was actually able to outswim him. Now he did not swim for six weeks leading up to that, but uh, the the point is, I was able to actually build swim fitness over that six week period because I, I swam. More frequently and and was able to really build that swim strength. we should not underestimate or discount the idea that a vasa really does I think mimic pretty darn closely swimming in a wetsuit. So all that vasa swim training definitely helped when I got in the lake after six weeks. Out of the water, uh, there are many ways to use a swimmerg, and I know that when I'm perusing Instagram or other social media like YouTube, there are many instances of professionals using the swimmerg, or I see this <laughs> a Vasa machine in the background of certain YouTube videos. So uh, I, I would love to know more about how. Professional triathletes are are harnessing the the Vasa swimmer or trainer to improve their swimming. I don't know if you can talk in great detail about it, Rob, but I'd be interested in, in maybe hearing your thoughts on that.
2: I think it really varies um, depending on which athlete you know mm-hmm. you're talking about, and I don't have, I, um, I don't think i I don't think it would be fair to those athletes for me to it would just be conjecture to say how right. they're using them. I mean, I've got, I've, I've, I've seen some, in, some video of, of how, of different people like of Lucy Charles Barkley mm-hmm. or Daniela reef that they've posted on their um, people can find them on their social media or YouTube or whatever. I think for age group athletes, it's probably not the best thing to, to try to look at what, some of these elite athletes are doing, unless we can pick apart the fundamentals that uh, of what they're doing and why they're doing. And again, I'm going to put my coach hat on for a second and just say, let's start with what is it you're trying to solve for? You know, let's, let's get really clear about what you as an individual athlete are solving for with regard to your open water swimming in a triathlon. And if you, if you draw the parallel to uh, what are you trying to solve for, To become a better cyclist in triathlon or a better runner but cycling i'm going to zero in on that for a minute because a lot of people at least you know i live in vermont so you you can't ride outdoors for you know months at a time i mean i'm looking out my window at three feet of snow Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and so you know smart bike trainers have done amazing things for cyclists and triathletes to be able to There's so many benefits to it. I mean, you know, all of the things you've mentioned about frequency and about, and I guess if, you know, if you, if someone's really interested in monitoring uh, their metrics for power, for heart rate, Mm -hmm. et cetera, I mean, the sky's the limit on what you can do there. Try, try showing up at a triathlon race, not having done the work on your bike. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how you're going to feel, right? Especially if it's a hilly course. So the same logic applies for open water swimming. If your if your triathlon is going to be in a swimming pool, it's a, there's a lot less risk. You just you're just going to need to have the fitness and the endurance to be able to get it. But if you're in in a, a choppy open water with a lot of people beside you, it's important to have you know have done the work and to have some tools in your toolbox. That you can rely on 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 the fly. So, again, the what is, you know, defining what you're solving for, what are your limiters right now, what are the ones that, you know, I, I, I like, Conrad, you and I remember talking about this when we wrote Triathlon Freestyle Simplified, is that 80 20 rule. What's what's what are 20% of the things that are like your limiters or whatever the top limiters that you can work on, and that's going to accomplish 80% of what you want to get done, and I think that's a really good strategy, because otherwise, and that's where you guys as coaches are, are going to do a great service to your athletes because you can guide them to for their workouts depending on their their situation. There's, you know, how often can they get to the water? Do they want to? or need to have a dryland swim training solution at home, or can they use their fitness club to accomplish some of those things? So each athlete's a little bit different, but they have to, you know, focus on what is it you're trying to solve for and how do you create a progression to continually improve just marginal gains every week. It's all you need to do. You don't have to become a great swimmer, you know, in, in four weeks time, but just marginal gains, Mm-hmm. during your your build up, and then year after year, you just get better, you learn things you, you your your situation changes, and you can decide um what kind of tools do you need in your toolbox for dry land training, what kind of tools do you need in your toolbox to keep improving your technique in the water um and a lot of times you can improve your technique by doing something on land, and we can talk a little bit about some stories on that, yeah. That's sort of where I come out on all of this, and I think that the, the listeners, I would encourage them to talk with you guys as their coaches and get real clear about what their limiters are, what are they trying to solve for, and then get that plan in place and just keep working the plan because even though swimming is, in terms of total volume of training that you're going to do every week or every month, it's, it's a smaller percentage than cycling or running, it's still really important because – it is the start of the race you 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 don't want to get into trouble while you're in, in the open water and you want to be able to you know exit that swim feeling pretty good you know mm-hmm. feeling confident feeling because even from a psychological point of view i don't know if you guys have experienced this but if you got beat up pretty bad on the swim or you're kicking yourself because man i should have done those workouts that conrad had had prescribed for me, but I didn't do them for swimming, then that weighs on you during the bike. It weighs on you during the run. And especially if you start feeling a lot of fatigue going like, man, I wasted myself on that swim. That wasn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see what I mean? It, it all mm-hmm. adds up. And I think it's really important to be mindful of, of how important uh, being prepared for the swim can be.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point to talk about too, is just setting your day up for success with being prepared for that first discipline if you go into the mindset that's not super confident you know you're going to get to the bike and there might be unknown your your confidence level might be (laughs) diminished a little bit and then same thing when you get to the run and
1: looping back around to what you said earlier rob about identifying the the what or the specific needs of triathlon swimmers and you know we talked a little bit about building strength, proficiency, and, and confidence in the water and, and having the ability to execute a training plan uh, that instills confidence. You know, I think another dimension of uh, the ability to, to swim well for, for triathlon is honing technique. And I think it's worth talking about that a little bit, especially as it relates to the VASA swimmer and trainer, because you can certainly hone technique on the VASA. I know the athletes we work with, we spend a lot of time focusing on technique in the pool or in the water. But those who have a VASA swimmer, it's also extremely productive to to utilize it to enhance technique, you know, and I'm thinking about things like finishing your stroke or striving to achieve an early vertical forearm and really learning or understanding where potentially you should be trying to catch the water because triathletes, swimmers, etc. we have different levels of shoulder flexibility and kind of the depth of that reach and the ability to get into an early vertical forearm. Early is going to be dependent on shoulder flexibility, so when you 're on the vasa, you can kind of experiment uh, with with all this to to figure out how early you can get your forearm vertical, how deep. Uh, your hand should be when you when it moves into the catch position, etc, and you know when we think about the swimmer so there 's a built in power meter, so you can actually track how much power you 're generating when when you're you 're using it, and then you can kind of triangulate uh, and, and look at power and 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 see how when you modify your stroke, how is it actually influencing power and you know we we find that when athletes use appropriate form, so I'm thinking about sort of the universal principles, i.e., you know, good long strokes, finishing your stroke, trying to engage your lats, you sort of activating those those big back muscles. Um, they end up putting out more power or a higher uh, power at a lower perceived exertion. So you, you can really kind of experiment with your stroke and, and see if adjusting it in certain ways leads to uh, better power output. And then you can take what you learn and, uh, apply it to the, to the pool. So you can sort of figure out your, your best recipe because, you know, it, it, you can definitely turn over your arms quickly on a VASA and you could see the power output. But then you might increase the resistance, so to speak, or put it into a a sort of a bigger, harder gear and focus on taking long, powerful strokes. And you might find that the power increases while RPE decreases. And then there are other aspects of technique that you can also hone. In the book, we talked about... uh, pretending that there's an eyeball in the palm of your hands and always making sure that the eyeball is looking rearward, sort of backwards towards the, uh, sort of the pool wall. If you're swimming in a pool, um, and really making sure that your eyeball is constantly looking backwards because that, that's your paddle, your hand and your forearm is, is obviously a paddle and you want to maximize the surface area there. So if you're, Um, Not facing that palm back, you're not going to have the ability to anchor your hand as well in the water. Um, And and you can also focus on other good things like uh, crossover. Um, Many athletes, they have a crossover upon entry. Their hand enters the water and, and it crosses over their center line. And this causes fishtailing or serpentining in the water. Their legs end up swaying and that's obviously not good so you you can work on that you you can set up mirrors and you can't set up mirrors in the pool and see exactly what you're doing but you can do that on the vasa and sort of check check your stroke so um there are a lot of good technique related things you could do on the vasa
2: one of my favorite um things that i've learned th- i want to thank uh, coach eric nielsen who's a master swim coach out in Colorado, and. Also, multi-sport a- uh, athlete and coach himself, he coaches a lot of triathletes. But one of the one of the he calls this limiter or technique flaw that he sees in a lot of adult learned swimmers. He calls it a mono-speed pull, mm-hmm. and what he means by that, uh, or my interpretation anyway, is you know you you can you can even have a swimmer who they've somehow mastered the the freestyle technique and it looks really efficient. Even in the water, they look very efficient. But there, you mentioned the paddle blade. Um, that's basically from your fingertips to your elbow. And if you keep, if, if the person can, the listener can envision that kind of a straight line, um, the hand all the way up the forearm as a straight line, not really bending at the wrist. That's the paddle blade. So what Eric says is that paddle blade speed or hand speed through the water for a lot of adult learned athletes is, is it's the same speed from entry to finish for, for a lot of them, it's not very fast. And what he's, what he wants them to do, what he wants them to do is when you enter the water, you don't use a lot of, a lot of speed to get into that high elbow catch to, as you just described, um, Conrad, where the eyeball on the palm of the hand is looking straight back. When you get to that position, though, the, the the big muscles in the back, the lats and upper back, it's almost like they're preloaded. Those muscles are preloaded. And that's the time that you pull with a lot more force and speed. You increase mm-hmm. your hand speed or the blade, paddle blade speed. At that point, if your hand enters the water and you try to uh, use a lot of speed or force to get to that high elbow catch position, all you're doing is pushing down on the water. Anybody who's ever paddled in a canoe or, or a kayak or anything like that, if you reach too far forward with your paddle blade and you push down on the water, the boat goes up in the water and what I, what i want the listener to, listen to and try to understand is when when you have an undulation like that of your body if you think of your body as the hull of a kayak or a canoe and your body goes up in the water you're you're creating all this frontal drag drag is our enemy we don't we don't want drag so we want to try to keep that body going you know piercing the water going straight through the water and so don't push down on the water very hard get to that high above Catch position with the eyeball on the palm of the hand looking straight back. And then really engage your lats, your torso for a a bit of a hip drive or the opposite hip driving down toward the bottom of the pool. Body long and taut. So from head to toe, the body should be long and taut. That's how you're going to maximize the propulsion and minimize the drag because you've got your body in the right position and you're able to really access those big muscles of the lats. But people who use a mono speed pull, they're basically leaving a lot of propulsion on the table because they're not really uh, accessing that. So that's something that can be revealed very easily on land, like on the ergometer, especially the swimmer, erg. Because you can actually see the power numbers, mm-hmm. and what we see is when we teach someone this to to overcome that mono speed pull, and if they're paying attention to the power numbers on the on the power meter before and after we teach them that technique, you can see their watts go up ten or fifteen or twenty watts. And Then, then the trick is start building the fitness on that at that using that technique of where you. You know, Eric likes to call it grip and rip, but you know, mm-hmm. get to that high elbow catch, pull back with acceleration, and then do it again with the other arm. And th- then the trick is getting the training in the physical training so that you can repeat that motion over and over again, and progressively build up your fitness using that type of a technique versus a mono speed pull. And then if you want to integrate that to the pool, even if someone doesn't have a swimmer or a VASA trainer, you can still integrate that into the pool if the athlete's comfortable using a pool buoy and using a front mount snorkel. Now what that does is that puts your body in a position in the water where you can really just focus on... That part of the technique that I just described, which is enter the water, not too much pressure down on the water, get to that high elbow catch, now rip it back, really pull with acceleration while you also try to integrate a, a bit of a hip roll, mm-hmm. and see what that feels like and see what it does for your swim times, because you could do a, you know, they could do a time trial with a pool buoy and a front mount snorkel, not doing. You know, overcome. They can just do their normal technique and see what it's like. Then they can do use it with this technique and see how it feels. So they'll swim faster. And in the first few sessions, they'll probably have sore lats afterwards. But that's a good sign. Sure, <laughs> if your lats are are getting tired and sore, it's because. You're finding out that you've been swimming not using some critical muscles that you need for propulsion.
1: Yes, the concept of the mono speed pool is definitely one heuristic or cue that I've integrated into my coaching. So, definitely thank you, Eric Nielsen, for for that one. But uh, definitely, the idea is that the swim stroke should sort of be slow to fast um, when, when the hand enters and and your hand forearm paddle blade anchors. You want to pull back with accelerating force, and this maximizes propulsion. Um, so it's 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 a great cue, and uh, another cue or heuristic that um, I've that was also in the book actually it has truly transformed a lot of the adult learned swimmers who I do swim analysis for is visualizing that there is a ladder beneath the surface of the water laying sort of horizontal parallel to the surface. And the idea is you reach out and grab a rung. So, you know, you kind of, when you're swimming, you enter and then your hand and forearm drop into the Catch position. They orient themselves vertically in the water. So it's at this point you want to kind of visualize that you're grabbing one of the ladder rungs. And then uh, you want to pull your body over the rung. So it's really the case that your hand and forearm kind of remain stationary in the water. And you pull yourself over your, your hand while engaging your lats. And you do it with accelerating force, not with a mono speed pool countless times i 've been in in the pool with with a new swimmer, and it 's often an epiphany moment when uh, <laughs> they view the stroke like that and i 've seen pretty pretty strong gains
2: i want, I just want to add to that um, Conrad, if you don 't mind that first of all, I want to give credit to at least i learned that particular analogy about the ladder in the water and again the ladder is laid going in the same you know end to end the same direction you're swimming with the rungs going horizontal you know so i mean like across the pool so that mm-hmm. when you when you reach and, and you get your maybe the heel of your hand if you can visualize the heel of the hand or just above the wrist touching that ladder rung i don't want you to i don't want your hand on that ladder rung on the fingertips i'd like to see it On the right, right around where your wrist bends, or a little bit higher up, up the forearm. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I want people to imagine, if they can, is when they're reaching forward and getting that arm in the position of the ladder rung. I want you to imagine a big physio ball right underneath your arm. It's forcing your arm to arc, and you know, like to kind of like go over that round ball, because you can still grab the ladder rung and drop your elbow. And mm-hmm. that's not good because mm-hmm. if you're not going to engage your lats. You're going to end up using your bicep tendon and, and you know, the front of the shoulder, which could create an injury. So, mm-hmm. again, always imagine reaching forward, get your hand positioned on that ladder rung, but it's, it's over a physio ball. I think that that image has always worked really well for me, and I, I give credit to the late, great coach Richard Quick, who was the he was the great stanford swim coach for many years and that's where i first learned about that particular
0: uh way of swimming yeah that's a great visual
1: yes that visual is definitely one that we use often with working triathletes so january was actually swim month uh for our athletes and we definitely <laughs> circulated that visual somebody reaching over a physio ball or barrel and you know i, I <laughs> I don't wonder how far we can take it and combine all of these heuristics like a physio ball on a ladder and you're (laughs) reaching over the physio ball, which is keeping your elbow high and your hand is anchoring and and sort of grabbing a rung. And then you're engaging your lats as you're pulling uh, your body kind of over that anchored paddle blade. Uh, But, you know, that's maybe that's a little bit too far. (laughs) And there's a a hierarchy of importance to these.
2: Using. Overcoming that mono-speed pull, and then how you how you go about integrating the technique portion of that, which we just talked about with the ladder rung analogy and the physio ball analogy, but also the just that notion of when you get into that high elbow catch position, now you're going to push. You couldn't people couldn't even imagine like pushing that ladder backwards behind them on the pool, you know. But mm-hmm. but they're actually moving past the ladder run. that's what richard quick used to say is that the great swimmers their hand would enter the water and if you think of it relative to some mark on the side of the pool their hand would enter that water when their hand exits the water it's actually at the same point on the side of the pool as where they entered mm-hmm. so okay they, yeah. their body really did move past that point which may, means that they maximized their grip on the water Mm-hmm. And the great swimmers like Grant Hackett from Australia, I mean, Michael Phelps, obviously, they, you look at any video of those guys, and that's how they swam
1: yeah and in a similar vein it reminded me of this, but probably the last seven form analysis sessions that uh, I've done with athletes, many of them are not pulling with a a shallow enough p- paddle blade, so to speak, so they're pulling too deeply and so so their hand is entering then their, their whole arm kind of presses down, and their whole arm enters the vertical position with very little elbow bend and you know to what you said earlier Rob you know you mentioned when when that happens oftentimes it lifts the upper body up drives the legs down which generates a lot of drag it's it's important when you anchor your your hand and forearm in the water that you're not spearing down too too deeply and and when you're pulling you want an elbow bend because you can Activate the lats that way if you're pulling with a straight arm, you're actually not tapping into your strong back muscles And obviously you 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 don't want that. Um, you know if You think about pulling yourself onto a box or something uh, when you're pulling you are going to pull with your hands close to your body and When you pull with your hands sort of closer to your body You can really tap into those lats and pull more powerfully and you can practice this appropriately shallow pool on a vasa swimmer or or trainer also
2: i'm not in touch so much with the resources you you share with your the athletes you coach but i did want to mention that um you know i've learned a lot from these different coaches you know i mentioned eric nielsen richard quick we also as a company vasa um produced with um working with a couple of coaches uh, a whole faster freestyle video series carlin pipes is the primary coach in that technique part of the series. And so anybody can go on our website or which is VastaTrainer.com, or you can go on our YouTube channel. There's basically five parts that she describes. And I think she does an excellent job creating these visuals that, especially if someone is a, if an athlete's a visual learner, they might be able to, you know, take those lessons that she teaches in the video and bring and integrate those into they're swimming in the water or if they have a vasa of course you know, practice those on the vasa but it all depends on what athletes have in their toolbox and how they're doing their swim training but but there's some great ones there the other yeah. uh, the other resource that i've been really uh, i think he does a great job is um, you may have heard of brenton ford out of australia who does oh yeah swimming and he he's really great at um you know, analyzing someone's swimming technique, and 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 he's got a great uh, markup on the screen where you know he can show you like what's going on with their technique and how you might be able to improve your own technique. So those are those are two resources that come to my mind. They might resonate with some of your listeners.
1: Absolutely, both of those resources are incredible. I believe in in one of the Carlin Pipes videos on the Vasa website, she actually talks about this. Uh, pulling yourself up onto a box concept, um, or even sort of thinking about pulling yourself up out of the pool and how you would, you would do that and, and harness the power in your, in your back, like your lats, um, so th- this kind of just, just ties back to the uh, don't pull too deeply, because if you pull too deeply, it might feel like you are generating a lot of power because of the leverage, but you're simply not igniting your, your lats and you're actually compromising propulsion. But that's a great video to to check out on the VASA website, and there there are a lot of great other videos, a lot of good content on there that's immediately applicable for triathletes or, or swimmers. Um, and Br- Brendan Ford's channel is also awesome. You know, it's, it's one of the best swim channels out there, period. And he he reviews a lot of triathletes' swim strokes also. I know he, he's reviewed Lionel Sanders, Sam Longs, and I think he... So he recently reviewed uh, Lucas Voigt's stroke. So So I know Lucas, he... I think he might have broken the Ironman swim record at at Copenhagen or or came pretty darn close to it. Uh, He was
2: an elite swimmer before he started triathlon, but he's an incredible swimmer. But again, you know, it's important for the listeners to know that there's so many variables that go into whether an athlete can be, uh, can achieve, you know, really Efficient, powerful swimming, and one of them has mm-hmm. to do with mobility in the shoulders. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that earlier, and I, th- I think it is important that I don't want people to beat up on themselves because they have a limited mobility. You are, you have the body that you have, but if one can can clearly and honestly identify the limiters, and then just come up with a plan, working with coaches like you to identify what are the what are those limiters that you can probably make a difference on you know, with through through progressive training. And what are one the ones that maybe it's not worth the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right? It can it can bring clarity for that athlete in, in, into what they do in their training, because there are so many things that people can will hear or or see or listen to. In, in looking at these other videos and you know what do they say comparison is the thief of joy mm-hmm. you don't want mm-hmm. to do that it's, it's oh, yeah. really important to just understand where you're at uh and maybe i don't know do you do you guys do uh do you have some kind of way to assess where where somebody is what their limiters are and it, that gives you that baseline to work from
0: yeah obviously benchmark testing for any of the disciplines is a is one portion of it Like Conrad mentioned, if we do a swim analysis too, you can identify any low-hanging fruit when it comes to form and technique.
1: Yeah, that's the big one. Video analysis is essential and and very powerful. And uh, we offer video analysis through working triathlete, our highest tiered one-on-one coached athletes. We'll often meet them at the pool if they're local. And we also do remote video analysis. And we have a a swim coach, Miguel Maddox, um, who's a great athlete and an incredible swimmer and, and coach. And, And he'll do a lot of the remote video analysis, he also does in-person video analysis, but but whenever we do that, we always identify the, the three biggest form limiters to, to try to simplify it, because um, it can certainly be overwhelming. If you're looking at your stroke, you don't know what you're doing incorrectly, but if you hone in and identify the three big things, uh, you can address those. So, I, certainly, video analysis is, is very powerful. And when you implement the, the recommendations, all of a sudden, you, you see progress, and, and it's it's fun. I mean, it's it, the swim stroke. It, it sort of is like a, a puzzle to put together, and um, each piece you you add, you just swim better, and and that's gratifying and that's fun. And we love to progress in anything, and, and it's very possible to do that in, in the pool if you can improve your your swim technique. Um, and you know, one instance fresh on my mind. Is an athlete, an adult learned swimmer who was a, is a great and was a great uh, cyclist and runner, but he, as an adult learned swimmer, his limiter was the swim. And we uh, he had a, sort of a wager with with another athlete. The other athlete wanted to improve his his run, uh, and this athlete wanted to improve his swim. So we set a goal for each of them. And and then they attacked that goal. So so for the swimmer, we, we set the standard, and he swam a one thousand meter time trial in October 2021, and he averaged 133 per 100. Uh, and you know that that's a pretty solid starting point. This athlete had been swimming for a total of two years and, and achieved a pretty high level of you know, swim fitness and had solid technique. But uh, the goal was to improve and, and drop the time uh, and, and average 126 per 100. That, that was actually sort of the, the higher goal. And, and the other athlete, uh, we had, uh, gave him a certain time to hit in the 5k. Um, and it was the case that that both of them Achieve the goals. So uh, there was a, l- a little bit of fire under, under, underneath both of them, and they had some fun banter back and forth. But you know, the point being is is uh, the athlete who wanted to improve his his swim uh, made it fun, and and through a very deliberate and fo- focused practice, you know, working on the things that matter, not worrying about the things that don't. Uh, he he was able to improve his his one thousand meter time trial pace, and, and he ended up swimming uh 124 per 100 meters a couple of days ago actually so, so he met that goal i mean that's a huge improvement that is an improvement of nine seconds per hundred meters and uh that was achieved by increasing swim frequency um being more deliberate with with the training not missing swims and uh he progressed incredibly well And you know the point of of the story is that it can be fun and fulfilling. Really trying to to improve the swim and not making it you know overly complicated.
2: You do the math on that. If he improved by nine seconds per hundred, and let's just say he can he can um, sustain that over. Let's just take fifteen hundred meters, right, or fifteen hundred yards. That's two minutes and twenty and. Two two minutes and fifteen seconds for that fifteen hundred meter that he's he's coming out of the water. Two minutes and fifteen seconds sooner.
1: Exactly. Right? Yep. And,
2: and I think you know people can do the math. You know, one of the things that I, I I'm a big I, I like to use analogies, and I hope I'm not driving anybody crazy with my analogies, but <laughs> no, they're good. You know, if you're let's say we were going to go for a bike ride, and I noticed that your rear wheel your rear tire was slightly deflated. You you would want me to tell you that because otherwise <laughs> yes. you're gonna work your butt off to try to keep up with me because you're you've got a deficit. So you're you're talking about, you know, using swim video analysis, you know, to identify limiters. It's it's critical that people get those baselines so they know what to work on. They know where their where their tires deflated, so to speak, because mm-hmm. and then that's where, you know, great coaches like you guys can guide them to work on the things that are most important that are gonna get the most juice for the squeeze, and forget the rest of it, right? Just, mm-hmm. just focus on these most important things. And I want to talk about drag for a second. And I know, you know, Conrad, in our book, we talk a little bit about the idea of our body being like the hull of a boat, the hull of a sleek carbon fiber kayak. Or our body could be like the hull of an inflatable kayak. (laughs) I want people to try to understand that if if you take that carbon fiber kayak and you go down to the the lake and you point that kayak right out into the lake perpendicular to the beach and you push on the end of that kayak, it's going to go straight out like an arrow. Mm -hmm. It's just going to go because it's stiff, it's long, it's not going up and down in the water or anything like that. Now you now take, to draw the analogy, take that inflatable kayak. And even if you inflate it as much as it'll possibly go, uh, there's a lot more surface area. And, and again, point it out to sea or point it out to the lake and push on the end of it and see how far it goes. It won't glide very far at all. So if you can draw that analogy back to your body, and this is what I'm trying to pull in here is, the importance of some of the things that you do on land that can strengthen your core and your torso and also create a body awareness so that from head to toe your your body is long it's taut and you also learn how to use your torso and your and your core at the right time in freestyle so mm-hmm. when you when you're into that you reach reach you enter you get into that high elbow catch position That's when the timing comes in for driving the opposite hip down toward the bottom of the pool a little bit as you pull through with your lats, all while keeping the body long and taut and all while making sure you're not crossing over midline and then sweeping out, reaching too wide and sweeping in, because those would make the... The hull of your boat serpentine like a snake, which mm-hmm. also creates drag. So I think it's important for people to try to understand how they might be creating drag for themselves mm-hmm. with their swim with their swim technique, but also what can they do with their series of land exercises for core and torso that and even if someone has a Vasa, I I always tell people like if you're using one of our swimmergs or, or a trainer, don't let your legs just dangle off the back. Like keep the, your lower back and your your butt muscles taut, and your legs long and taut and together, not spread apart. Because all you're doing there is practicing what you want to do in the water, which is body long and taut. It's important to to mention these things because uh, you know what you you want to maximize the value of every swim session that you have, whether it's on a piece of equipment like a VASA or in the pool itself.
1: That reminds me of this concept that we talked about in the book, uh, the idea that anything that breaks alignment or anything that breaks that long, taut body line is a form error. I mean, really, every form error is a form error because it it causes that, that, that long, taut body line to do something other than, be long taught and and in line and we can really focus on this on on the vasa also so the, the athletes that we work with um who have vasas I, I was Tell them to like you 're saying, swim as you will in the pool, so point your toes, engage your core and and really think about the timing of of your kick and, and your your hip rotation, so you can drive your hip into the into the bench, and when you do that and you really think about the timing, you can feel a surge whether you 're in the water or on on the vasa. Um, when your, your lower body and your core is in sync with your pull, it's just kind of magical. You pull stronger and um, the timing improves. So, so you feel kind of less discombobulated in the water. And, and this goes for beginners, but it even goes for sort of advanced swimmers. I know I, I work with some really good swimmers who, who can't do a two beat kick because they, they actually aren't really aware of how their their kick and hip rotation kind of relates to their pull, Because uh, a lot of times they have a, a propulsive kick and it doesn't really even matter <laughs> what they do or what their timing is necessarily because that propulsive kick just, just makes up for a lot. Practice these things on the Vasa, and really kind of feel how that core relates to to your pull.
2: And I, th- I think, so, unfortunately, especially a lot of adult learn swimmers, they they misunderstand what rotation really means. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. I think too many people misinterpreted that idea, thinking like they need to get their body rotated a certain right. number of degrees like like being on a shish kebab skewer right that's not what it's about it's what it really rotation is really all about somehow connecting find a way to connect your pulling arm with your lats and with the muscles in the torso that give you a little more propulsion because you're rotating a bit to the side, but not like, not like 45 degrees, you know, or, mm-hmm. or even 30 to 30 degrees. It's like people get too hung up in that. It's mm-hmm. really all about propulsion and keeping the body long and taut, minimizing drag. Those are the things that are so important. I think for swimming more
1: efficiently. Exactly. Yes. It's more like rocking back and forth. You're not <laughs> overly rotating because then you just, your balance is thrown off um, and so you need to be balanced
2: or sinking or your legs splay, which creates more drive, right. you know, whatever. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it also is a, is a big contributor to crossing over, you know, if you're yeah. over rotating to one side, it's, it, you're going to cross over center with your arm, with your lead arm. Definitely covered a lot of good ground uh, talks a lot about the good, content on vasa's website and i know over the last year or two a lot of the athletes we work with have purchased vasa swimmers and uh obviously we want to ask and, and and see uh what's new or exciting on the horizon for for vasa
2: yeah thank you for asking um there's a few things that are in the works uh one thing i can announce is that within the next six or eight months we will have the, the power meter will will have not just ant plus transmission capability, but ant plus and bluetooth low energy, which is which will allow um, some apps to be used that I think people will find really useful. They can use the apps on their smartphone or on a on a an iPad or something like that. I'm I'm terrible at stuff like this, but the data can be used, you know, can be be uploaded and then mm-hmm. analyzed and used in all the the ways that people are doing right now with, with the ant plus power meter and, and uploading information to training peaks or using apps like trainer road, or I think there's a, there's a couple of them, a couple of other ones that, that people are using on a regular basis. So that's pretty exciting. I'm kind of curious to see what happens there. Um, more and more, we're seeing people doing some group sessions. You know, like mm-hmm. Facetime group group training sessions. Uh, I think the B, the Bluetooth Low Energy power meter is going to allow people to do a little bit more with that. Um, you know, with sharing data and doing right. real time. I'm trying to think of what else. We we got a few other new innovations that are in the works, but it probably wouldn't be wise to talk about those <laughs> right now. So.
1: Got it. No, I'm looking forward to, to trying that out and uh, looking forward to what else VASA comes out with. I know it's, you know, you all are very innovative and, and and it's exciting. We appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know we covered a lot of ground, both as it relates to using a VASA swim trainer, but also as it relates to just swimming in general, technique and, and different approaches. If they want to learn more, they can go to your website, VASA trainer dot com and check out the content because it, it truly is good high quality content whether you have a, a, a vasa trainer or not it's just going to be for you um and it's going to make you a, a better swimmer so i encourage everyone to to check that out
2: make sure uh, you, you can share it in your show notes or whatever but i think i think if people want to get one and they get a vasa any of our models and they go they use your code you have a you have a special code that gets them a discount i think that mm-hmm. that's that's a good thing but you know before we sign off it's it's a pleasure to talk with both of you and i i really appreciate that you uh, have included me in the podcast but i think your listeners need to understand something conrad the reason we're even doing this is because i picked up your book the working triathlete, and I read that cover to cover and said, Oh my God, this is like one of the best books I've ever read. And I had this idea for triathlon which which became triathlon freestyle simplified. I had that idea, you know, a a year or two before I read your book, but I was struggling to find the time and energy to do it by myself. And when I that's why I approached you because I thought you were you were such a good writer and You present the ideas, the concepts in in ways that people can understand and truly implement. So, you know, again, I want to thank you for allowing me to co-write that book with you. I mean, you did the lion's share of the work on that book. And if the listeners, if you have not read Triathlon Freestyle Simplified, I encourage you to, to do that. And if you haven't read Working Triathlete, I encourage you to do that because they're both excellent books thanks to Conrad.
1: Well, thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. And it was a joy writing the book with you, truly. And if anybody wants to check out those books, they can go on on Amazon because they are available there. We'll put links in the show notes. That'd be great. Great. So
2: guys, Derek, great, great to meet you and talk with you. And Conrad, thank you for all you do for for us and, uh,
0: for this, with this podcast. So yeah, Rob is a joy having you on. Thank you so much for sharing the information.
1: Thanks guys. And for any listeners who want to contact me, you can reach me at Conrad at working And
0: you can reach me at Derek at working And
1: to learn more about VASA or get in touch with Rob, check out vasatrainer.com.